This is Coda Radio, episode 87 for February 3rd, 2014. Everyone, you're listening to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our three fine sponsors, GoDaddy, Ting, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Dear Barry. Oh, sorry, what? <laughs> Are you still writing that letter? I'm writing my letter to to Barack. He's not going to like it. No, I don't think um, so. I'm suggesting a number of bills be put through the house because <laughs> the only place people love me. Right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, uh, so Chris, uh, audience who's not live, has done an excellent job of firing me up. I did. I got show. you all riled up. I, somehow we got on the topic of uh, politics. We so every now and then we have a politics action show on the live stream, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I got to tell you, I got to take it easy. I got to be careful. I'm a hurting unit. I uh, so there was a big sports event yesterday. You might have heard about it. Uh, my local Seahawks uh, totally dominated in every possible way and every possible matter, and uh, totally represented Seattle. Of course, then we lit things on fire. That's a whole other story. Uh, but uh, I apparently had cheese two nights in a row, and I I was like, Have you ever been to the point where it's like you hurt so much that you can't sleep? Oh yes. That's where I've been for two nights now in a row. It's been like. It's the stomach problems are manageable. They're awful, but there's no sleep. I feel like I feel like I'm losing my mind. I can't. My short term memory has been completely shot. I can't. What are we doing right now? What show is this? I couldn't even tell you. Couldn't even this tell. This is you. political radio. Okay, and this is what our third episode. I just <laughs> <laughs> we've slipped into it a few times. So I got an email, and the guy's like, "Hey, I love all the coffee talk. Don't stop talking about coffee." And I'm like, "I feel bad because I haven't had any coffee for a couple of days because I don't want to throw a- anything in the mix." Well, I have a cup of coffee right now that was sent by one of our great listeners who did not ask me to say his name, and I usually don't unless you do. So uh, I, I, I think I got, um, I got a few things. Uh, so my birthday was last, not this mm. Sunday, but the Sunday before. Oh, happy birthday! Oh, thanks. And a few people sent me um, coffee stuff because they know that uh, I've been getting into coffee. So I got a brush to clean my grinder, which yes. makes it so much easier yep. to, to do. And I also got... Um, a container that allows like the CO2 gases to uh, come out, but it doesn't like, uh, I guess it doesn't let new oxygen in to, to ruin the beans. So it's like a, it's like a vault for my beans. So the listeners who have sent me really high end beans, I don't have to worry about them. Like, uh, you know, reducing in quality as fast in the bag. Cause I was just keeping them in the bags that came in. I knew that was a bad idea, but I didn't have anything better. So now I've got a cool brush to clean out my grinder and I've got this nice silver container um, I wish I wish, wish we still had Amazon affiliates because this would be great stuff to affiliate up in the show notes because these things are really great and they're not not all that expensive. Um, and I'm just telling you, uh, you know, I, I haven't had I haven't had it for a couple of days and I miss it. it I, it's now gotten to the point where I originally started drinking coffee because like I had to have the caffeine, right? And then I then I migrated to energy drinks and put on about 35 pounds. Then I realized that having that much sugar every single day first thing in the morning is probably not good for my long term health. So I, then I went back to coffee and I got one of those Kruik machines, that, you know, with the K-cups. Right, right. That, the genius to that thing is, is you put water in the reservoir, you walk up to the thing, you push a button and it makes coffee. And you can even, you can even like have it turn on like you can with some coffee makers and just you get down and you just have one cup of coffee ready to go. And that was really nice for a quick caffeine fix. But that coffee is terrible compared to what I'm getting out of the AeroPress. So uh, thank you, everybody who sent us some stuff. And uh, I'll be back on the coffee bandwagon probably later this week. I got to give my system time to sort of get back back on track. You know, I got to work things out. I, I'm on I'm on I'm on probation, as it were. So I've been a really tame Super Bowl party, by the way. Like no snacks, no beers. I had half a can of fruit, and then later on I had some wings because I couldn't help myself. <laughs> so my Super Bowl party was three people. Ooh. We had brisque wrapped around uh, mozzarella balls. Oh. Brajut wrapped around melon balls, uh, pigs in a blanket, I think, uh, some kind of chips, another kind of chips, 
and a roast. Oh, dude, that actually sounds well, – did you have any beverages? Quite. Uh, let's see. So what was it? What were we serving? Some, something called she- Second Shift Ale, which I didn't drink, but a guest did. Hmm. Or I should say the only guest did. Corona, and there was some kind of Stella Artois cider thing going on, but I didn't have any of that either. Oh, oh well, sounds yeah. sounds like it was nice and low key, but it, still fun. It was it was low key. Yes. Yeah, I uh, um, I think next year I'll probably try. I was see, I was supposed to go over to Chase's house and have a big yeah. party, and because he actually has like a, a over the air antenna and he can actually get TV <laughs> signals here at my house, I have an over the air antenna, but it's not hooked up, and. I don't have a TV service. So I was using like the various streaming solutions to watch the game, mm-hmm. which was peril. Had some, it, it, it was, it, it, I did run into some problems. Let's put it that way. Like the buffer, it had to rebuffer a few times. So sometimes we saw a few plays replay a couple of extra times. Um, and like it would drop out and then, and then we'd end up like two minutes behind the actual stream and stuff like that. But what was really cool is they were going in the Jupiter Broadcasting chat room during the show and the folks watching the stream were seeing different sets of commercials than the people watching on TV. So in the chat room, they were chatting about the commercials on the, on the stream version, which was really great. Right. So they had like, you know, cause on Twitter, everybody's talking about the TV version, but uh, anyways, that's not what we're gathered here today. In fact, uh, we're gathered here today to cover some of your emails and also talk a little bit about perhaps some Microsoft stuff, the real true cost of upgrades and other things that fit into the schedule today. Coder Radio Program, if you're new, it's a talk show that covers everything around software development and the process of software development itself. And uh, you can get a hold of us by going to jupiterbroadcasting.com and popping that contact link and choosing Coder Radio from the dropdown. And then we just might start our show next time, next week, with one of your emails. But before we get to our emails, while we're still on the topic of the Super Bowl, probably be a really good time to mention a special Super Bowl deal that we have from our sponsor, GoDaddy. Yeah, did you see that puppet lady? Yeah, yeah, that's, that was actually pretty cool. That's the whole. That's yeah. So uh, Gwen, yeah, she she quit and she's now a uh, she's a go dot she's a GoDaddy uh, spokesperson and she's doing these puppets, which is which was a really great kind of a great thing because they built it up online earlier. Like somebody's going to quit during the Super Bowl, and then boom, during the Super Bowl, here it is. And they also rolled out a little new look to their page, and we have a special deal. For the Super Bowl, and I think it's probably only going to last for a couple of days, so go take advantage of this right now. It's go 32 off 4. Now, that's 32% off anything in your shopping cart. Go 32 off 4. That's a great deal, and normally we get something in that range, but this is a, this is a limited-time offer. So go over to GoDaddy. Check out their brand-new WordPress hosting. They've restructured the WordPress hosting from the ground up to make it more efficient, faster, and more scalable. And the other thing they have now, get ready for this. Now, Mr. Dominic, you know I'm not Mr. Microsoft over here, but they do have some great products like Office 365. And Office 365, there's a lot of different ways you can get access to this now. Well, GoDaddy's become an Office 365 reseller. And they have plans to get you into Office 365 that's way lower than anywhere else. Literally, you can't get it lower anywhere else, especially when you use that promo code GO32OFF4. It applies to that, too. So if, you've been in, if you're a business or you're a small team and you've been thinking about getting your hands on Office 365 for whatever purpose it might be, if you've got one box you need to throw it on, this is a great way to do it. GO32OFF4 will get you even better price than you could have. But you can get a .com. You can get a domain. You can get some hosting. Shoot, son, get, out, get whatever you want. Just go over to GoDaddy.com, use the promo code GO32OFF4, and check out their uh, Super Bowl commercials. They've got them all up there, and there's some good ones. I think it's really cool. And there's Danica in the uh, meat suit, I guess you could call it. <laughs> That's so funny to me. She's such a good sport. She's such a good sport. So go over to GoDaddy.com and check all of them out. If you haven't seen that Danica commercial yet, you got to go over there and watch that. That's good times. Uh, so thank you to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. <laughs> I want a muscle suit like that. I want to do every show in a muscle suit like that. I just feel like such a boss. Uh, all right, should we get to Jason's email? He wrote in. You want to do that? Do it. All right, he's talking about Scala deployment, but here's a hitch, only with free software. Hey, Coda Radio crew, over the past few episodes, I've been hearing a lot about the play framework from Mike and how he's been trying out Scala as of late. I've been listening to Coder Radio since the beginning. I've listened to Mike, Prey, C-Sharp, and other programming languages like Objective-C and Java. I think it's great that he has been adopting Scala lately because not only is it a powerful language, but it also is positive in the freedom dimension. As we know, C-Sharp runs on the best Microsoft platforms, Objective-C runs on the best Apple platforms, and straight-up Java runs on the best Oracle JRE 
and is thankfully operating system independent. The big problem with Oracle JRE is lies in the proprietary licensing, which could cause issues with some freedom happy developers. Oh, is it? It's negative oh. in the freedom okay. Okay. dimension. I see. I see. So this is why I like Scala so much. Scala is free software and runs on the free Open JDK seven platform in addition to the Oracle one. As of this email, both the Oracle and Open JDK versions have matching version numbers, which assumes the feature set is the same. Also, since Scala is a language on its own running on the JVM, there is no worry about the language missing features like it would with Java if you chose. OpenJDK. So by mixing OpenJDK, Scala, and the Play Framework on on a deployment environment, you are finally getting one of the most powerful free software deployment stacks that has no licensing fees or vendor lock-in. Heck, even running the application on Triscoll or Perloba Paraloba, through the Nginx web server would make RMS proud and reinforce that free software doesn't equal lower quality. So... Would you, Mike, ever consider deploying your play applications on a totally free software stack down the road to appease the bearded elite if you could? Or is this totally open and free software stack not important to you at this time? I've always been curious if you would make the switch for your business if the opportunity arose. I know it would be for Chris from his past experiences, but it wasn't 100% clear for you. Thanks again for the great show, and I apologize for the long email. So, does the Hmm. fact that if you could have set up an arrangement like this and you could get really close to having the whole stack be free and open software, would that right, would right. that be enough reason for you to choose that? Uh, no, probably not, right? There would have to be another reason. I, I can't see me going and retroactively upending all the current deployments just to... Oh, not retroactively, no. Right. What about or even so? Just if you were to say just going forward, then so picking an arbitrary date. Yeah. Um. Probably not. I mean. So let me ask. If there were some sort of advantage. Well, so here's I would say here's the advantage <clears throat> is haven't we talked so much on this show about not owning the platform about how vendors right. uh, you know oh, uh, platform owners let's call them uh, will uh, will just arbitrarily make changes based on what they perceive to be future market whims. And it sort of, as a developer, leaves you getting tugged around by the caller. And where you, if you go with an open, free platform, you know, you essentially, for all intents and purposes, do own that entire stack. Isn't right. that the kind of reassurance? I mean, that kind of reassurance seems appealing, right? But you don't think the risk is high enough to worry about it? I guess I don't, no. That's fair. I mean, it, see, I, um, I the way I look at it is I think sometimes uh, our, our, the engineer mindset takes over and we think about the fact that, well, we have to build this so that way when the EMP hits and only a few computers remain standing, this piece of software will run for all of time. I, I guess I'm trying to understand what the advantage of that would be. Well, it's really about platform ownership in a sense, right? And not having to pay licensing fees. It's about knowing the future so direction of what you depend on. So that's the thing, right? With the Java stack, I don't currently pay licensing fees. Um, I, yeah, I see. I look yeah. at it. Too, I look at it too. Is you don't have to. You can you can always rebuild, and you know it's not ideal, and obviously it's not something you want to do every few years. But if you got to a point where you base, you know, something you're, you're at, say, um, say Code Journal was all based on C sharp and Mono for uh, on Linux, right? And then. You know, you just watch the mono guys continue to just sort of flop around and not really execute on the Linux desktop. And so you you maybe run it on that for a few years. You could still be running it just fine on that. And then maybe five years down the road, you decide, well, I'm going to rebuild it, you know, into something else. I, to me, it seems like the mindset is like sometimes we get all we get all obsessed with building something that will last forever when it's not actually what the call is for. Now, sometimes it is. Right. I, I, there would have to be a practical reason, right? So the practical reason of, of of dipping into Microsoft and then coming back to Java was there's no way the Microsoft stack doesn't cost me more money in the long run, right? And the issue of having to deploy, you know, having the ex- expertise in-house for Windows and for Unix was not realistic um, in terms of actually deploying physical servers. <clears throat> right. I, mean, I don't know. I, I guess there are people who are freedom beers and would just be, yes, because it's free. Um, so far, that's not the case. I mean, for me, that's not the case. As an aside, Chris, what was that uh, GoDaddy promo code again? 
the uh, promo code go 32 off four Go 32 off four yeah yeah you're gonna go buy something no oh i'm not i mean yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm trying to see how much it takes down this tally ah yes. yeah <laughs> are you shopping right now <laughs> i'm nice. often shopping you know people mention free software i go shopping Right, sure. All right, well, let me get, let me switch gears to Johnny. He wrote in, and uh, he titled his email Software Factory, so I'm already curious. Uh, he says, hello, thanks to your shows, especially last. My wife and I watched uh, uh, Switch to Linux a few years ago, Mint on Dell, Inspirons, and Dell XPS. So far, a great experience, and it connected me to my old times when I used to be a geek. I think you might still be. All right, at present, I'm a project manager at one of the largest IT companies in South America. Yes, I've moved into the dark side. And I would like to hear from you guys any comments on the software factory paradigm. Is it viable or is it just a dream slash nightmare? Uh, salutations from Chile. Sorry for my English, Johnny. So, I, you know, it's funny you said this because I said the Jupiter Broadcasting was a podcast factory in a sense. Or, you know, we have a, we have a production pipeline um, and, a, and, you know, things have to happen at a certain time or else the next product gets sort of jammed up. I suppose this is very true for software too. And I think of... I think of a, a place like Angry Birds, like Rovio or uh, Zynga, where they have like these in-app purchase games where they have to constantly be producing new levels and n- new stuff for people to buy in-game. Or, or like a lot of these uh, sandbox games that are on uh, tablets now. Um, Simpsons Tapped Out is one of them. There's other ones out there. They just constantly require that the developers must be just n- continuously churning out code, almost like a factory. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but there is also this idea of a software factory in that you would get the software development process to be so efficient that it could literally be like a factory line, right? Like an assembly line. Um, Unless I'm assuming he's not talking about the factory pattern, which is a development pattern. That's almost certainly not what he's talking about. I I, I don't think that's a realistic goal. And I know I'm being a negative Nancy today. (laughs) Uh, And the reason I'll say that is at least in projects I usually work on, you know, it, it worked for Ford Motor Company because every car they build is exactly the same, right? right? They have a set specification and they're building it. Um, in, in fact, you know, we're at Fingertip. We're becoming more agile, which makes me want to vomit in my mouth. But we're doing it because it's a necessary evil. And it's certainly less of a control freaks uh, dev model. And it's a little more, you know, freewheeling. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, most of the time you get a project, the person either doesn't know what they want or actually doesn't want what they told you they want. And this idea that you're going to somehow get such a good process that's going to make it like a like a mechanical factory is is it's to me a dream. Right? You'd, you'd a, really literally have to be almost producing the same thing over and over again. Like, uh, oh, you know, MMOs are another good example where they just take kind of the same stuff and they ch- switch stuff around, switch the story around, change out the assets. So there are probably some gigs where I you could get close, right? But even then, yeah. technologies improve. Uh, you know, the ability, capability of computers improve, and so it, it seems almost like by the time you got a factory line set up, some kind of change, either in the requirement of the software or yeah. the technology itself, would change. So it does seem like I'm a dream that's almost impossible. So there's, I mean, certainly some of the factory guys, and I'm not an expert on this. I would love to hear from if anybody out there sort of works in a software factory. That would be really interesting. I mean, the idea that there is, you know, value to be gained and efficiency to be gained by learning on what didn't work before, I think is just common sense. And I'm not sure that that needs to be its own ideology, right? Um, I I mean, I would love to talk to someone who, who has successfully implemented this to the point where it is truly like a physical assembly line, truly, truly that well. I get the feeling that it's kind of like agile, where it's it, you're not, it's not a boolean, right? You're not agile or waterfall. You're somewhere in between. You're, it's like a spectrum, right? Don't go chasing waterfalls. Thank you, TLC. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. I'll stick to the rivers and the streams. <laughs> um. So we got an email that you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe this next email. I thought he left us. Yeah, I mean, I assumed I assumed that we had we had lost Egon, but no, Egon writes in. Thankfully, it's good to hear from him. He says, was, "Hi, Chris, I was concerned. Mike." And he also sent this to Angela. He says, oh. uh, "It took the hoodie forever to travel to Europe, but I finally got it, and he loves it." Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I got a picture of him here in a sec. He says, "I wanted to clarify a few things, though. I never oh, no. said I might actually stop listening to the show. Never said that. 
I'm I am much more interested in the coffee stories than most of the game console or handset stuff. And I would like to I would even listen if you would talk about breeding snails in the Arctic environment. You two are just so good and dynamic hosts. Did you think uh, he says, did you did you think about the possibilities to sell your subscriptions to save taxes on the subscribers end? You know, that's an interesting concept you know, right there. Yeah, any, anything that saves taxes, yeah, I know. I'm immediately uh, like, like, like ding, what? Oh, is that? What? Well, so, all right, here we go. I got the picture of Egon rocking the hoodie with his doge. Do he's doing it. And, uh, I, Not he, a doge. Don't doge it. Oh, he's handsome, though, isn't he? That's a handsome... It's, I mean, I mean, Egon himself's good-looking, too, but that that's a good-looking dog right there. I think. Oh, that, the dozer. <laughs> so it's so, good to know he's still out there. Egon, we love you. you you're, you're one of our favorite writers because... I like doggies. I mean, I you know, know we haven't talked about mobile much lately because it, not much has been happening. It turns out it kind of depends on what's been going on in the industry. Well, so it, it turns out that it kicks up in May, is super hot during the like early summer, dies until the fall. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's basically how mobile goes. Yeah. Uh, well, I I uh, I want to uh, take a second right here and you know, let's say uh there's some really cool things that are coming from Ting this week and so I want to say thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. So go over to coderadio.ting.com to get started. That'll take $25 off your first device or your first month of service if you already have a device. Today is Ting's birthday, so happy birthday to Ting. They turned 2 years old. I've been with them for a year of it. I didn't even know that. I didn't even realize it. So I'm I'm going to be like in a few years I'm going to be like one of the OG Ting subscribers and I feel gangster. You know why I feel gangster? Because I only pay for what I use. That's right, friends. Wrap your brains around this. Ting is only pay for what you use, no contracts and no early termination fees. How do they do it? Magic. No, actually it's it's actually pretty straightforward. They're an MVNO, which means they're able to focus on the customers and they don't have to focus on actually building the towers. This is a really great proposal and it's a great situation and you're going to find out why in a couple of days, why it's about to get even better. But here's a, here's a tip for you. Get started by tracking the Ting blog over at ting.com slash blog. This is a place you're going to want to watch. And if you're a college student, they also have a great program for college students and you can make a little extra cash too as part of your Ting service. So that's definitely worth something checking out. And they that's their current top post right now on the Ting blog. So you might want to go over there and look into that. If you've been considering switching, start by going to coderadio.ting.com. That way, Coder Radio gets the credit. That's how you can support our show and keep us on the air is by patronizing our sponsors and using those landing pages like coderadio.ting.com. And then click on that blog link. And if you're a college student, why not? I mean, you're already going to save a ton of money. It's $6, a flat rate for the phone. Then it's your usage on top of that. Ting takes your meg- your messages, your megabytes, and your minutes. They add those up. At the end of the month, whatever bucket you fall into, that's what you pay. It's super simple. It's really straightforward. They have a great dashboard that lets you track all of this. Ting just released an iOS app today. And, and by the way, Ting also lets you bring over iOS phones, uh, and they might have another announcement on that soon. I don't know. Stay tuned for that at the Ting blog. Anyways, they have an iOS and Android app that pair with the dashboard to let you track set alerts. Every plan includes three-way calling, caller ID, tethering, hotspot, voicemail, picture and video messaging, all of the stuff. Yeah, tethering and hotspot are included. It just goes on your data usage. You don't have to have some sort of special family share plan. You don't have to have some sort of extra data tablet plan or whatever it is you just use the feature that's built into android just like everything else should be not only on not only does ting have great devices like the htc1 they support the nexus 5 they have some great windows phone devices too if that's your persuasion no judging no judging and they even have feature phones if you're really budget conscious and you don't need all of the stuff a smartphone has you can get a no contract no early termination plan from ting with get this if you go to coderadio.ting.com 63 dollars for that kyocera $63. $63. That's crazy. I mean, at that price, since you're only paying for what you use, put it in your da- put it in your glove box. And if you ever have an emergency, you've got an emergency phone there. Why wouldn't you? I mean, that's just a great deal. So they've got a co- tons of great devices, got great plans, and they're going to help you get out of your contract. Go to ting.com slash ETF. They'll help pay for your early termination fee up to $75 per line. Average Ting bills around 30 bucks. So if you get a $75 credit, that's going to last you a while and the savings will really be there. So keep checking out Ting and go to coderadio.ting.com to support this show. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. All right, Mr. Dominic, I have something that is uh, not on our agenda, but I was wondering if I could float it past you a little bit to get the developer perspective. Float it. So I, I kind of stepped in something on last on Sunday. Um, I was covering some KDE uh, related stories. Uh, let me go get a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I know. I got an orange juice right here. Um, so I was covering some KDE stories, and I was talking about uh, KDE has is assembling a, a team of designers to help spiff up the next version of the KDE desktop to make it look a little more polished, right? And so I thought, well, this isn't a lot of story because that was essentially the whole story. This isn't a lot of story. So if I could find another KDE story to sort of couch this with, then I'd actually have something that sort of meets the requirement to make it into the show, into the news segment. So I did some digging and I found an article on Pharonix saying, oh, hey, good news, everybody. Uh, KDE's next version, the next version of KDE is here's the timeline. Here's what's here's when it's going to come out. And so, you know, Chris is thinking, "Okay, great. I'm talking about some new designers that KDE is going to get. This is a perfect time to also mention, by the way, good news, everybody. We also have a date on when you're going to get to see this stuff. The two just seem to make so much sense to me. And I found this article on Pharonix. Pharonix says, here's the dates. This is when it's going to ship. It's going to be, you know, beta is going to land on April. Final version is going to land on uh, June. And I report on that in last. Well, then I hear from the developers um, that turns out, Pharonix was just reading a proposal on the mailing list and uh. wasn't actual firm dates. And so the developers are upset that the quote-unquote media is just going off what's in their mailing list and reporting on it as news. And they're no, like, well, we want to be able to have these conversations but not have the media reporting on it. And then at the same time... To have them in private. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, they also want all the advantages of having those discussions out in the open as part of an open source project. Right? They want both. And they've even said that. They want to also still have them out in the open. And so, so basically, they don't want to set expectations and then get the negative flack when they don't meet those expectations right. in terms of timing. And I, I totally understand, like, especially when something's a proposal, it shouldn't be reported on. Um, and here's so here's the other side. And I want to I want to defend Pharonix for a second and, and also kind of defend myself because I've done the same thing is if you are reporting on a project, an open source project that there's a lot of interest in, like the next version of KDE, you essentially are forced to follow their discussions through their web archive mailing list display feature, whatever they might have to, to read their mailing list. And then, so it is, so then I sit here on a Saturday night or a Friday night and I'll read 40 emails in that email thread trying to figure out what the hell's actually going on, trying to understand all of the in-references that they have as a community and a culture and all of sure. the language barriers since not everybody speaks English and all of these kinds of things. You parse all of that and then you try to walk away with, well, here's the bullet points to report on. And, and sometimes it's just, not practical. It's prone to errors because of the process involved and because, you know, that's a lot of to read through a thread like that's a lot of work. And it can, you know, people try to take shortcuts. And I look at this and I think, wouldn't it be better if open source projects were just like, okay, hey, you want to know this information? Here's where you can officially get the information. This is where we're posting it. When it's posted here, you know it's official and you know it should be reported on. And if they're in the absence of that, you leave people to have to dig through the mailing list. So I kind of look at this as a little bit, and of course I'm a little biased here, but I kind of put some of the onus on the KDE project themselves for not properly surfacing this information. Do you think I'm off base? Yeah, I mean, I think what it sounds like is they want the uh, media to do their marketing for them. Uh, yes, yes, very they, much so. They, they don't like that since they've abdicated that responsibility, the media doesn't always have their interests at heart. Right, they have um, the media's interests at heart. Well, isn't that true? That's a good way to put it. And and so my my suggestion back to them was, you know, if there was a much more official way, an ingestible channel, it doesn't have to be anything. It could be a tweet. It could be a, a wiki post, right? It doesn't have to be like this right. big uh, big announcement that goes out or anything like that. Okay. All right. Well, so I felt bad, though. I felt bad because I essentially well, said, well, this I, is when it's going to ship, even though those were just target yeah. dates and they're not I even I mean, this firm. is something I've, I've struggled with, too, you know, since doing CR. I mean, sometimes it's feels like a good idea to pre-announce things. But if something changes, yeah. if something goes wrong... Expectations get set, and then they get right. missed. And you, people get upset. Yep. Um, in their case, though, it's not like they're, they... I guess I could see their side, though. They didn't... No one came out and said, we're pre-announcing this. Right. Someone misread a mailing list. Right. Somebody said, hey, I think... What do you think about these as the proposed dates? Right. And then the media guy took it as... Um, these are the dates. Yeah. Which sounds like, you know, is what what happens when you have to read through these mailing lists is you try you try to develop like a like a, a fast, efficient method to tear through them and right. get to the information and that process probably failed. That's probably exactly what happened, but I I feel like there's no bad guy in the story. It's just something that happened that was 
you know, not great. Um, and that's it. I mean, it's unfortunate because I, I could definitely see in a couple months, you know, upset KDE users emailing the team if it doesn't ship in June, which, I mean, let's be honest, probably won't. Yeah, I, I suppose maybe there's a little bit of uh, apprehension about that too. Maybe that's what's being exposed. Well, to. Well, no developer likes to deal with that. I mean, yeah. Well, you want to focus on working on the code, and right. And I don't know. I mean, maybe the um, KDE developers are a little better about this than me. But if if I have a particularly nasty exchange with someone, it, it does make it more difficult for me to focus. Um, so perhaps they're doing a little self preservation. Yeah, I, I understand too that it really the mistake was. You know, Phronix didn't read that it was a proposal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he's, you know, so it goes on to say that, so I, I suggested that perhaps there could be a more formal process for these kinds of things. And he says, uh, he says uh, that they plan to announce it once it's settled, but that's not the point here. The point is media, including the Linux Action Show, reported about something before it was settled. They didn't give us a chance to announce the schedule in the first place. For media referencing those who did it wrong, for, for media referencing those who did it wrongly, just don't quote sites such as Pharonix, but quote the original source. Uh, so, it, you know, and I I was also, there was another email thread I was reading through about OpenSUSE. So OpenSUSE has announced that they won't have software developers from SUSE working on the next release of OpenSUSE. They'll be working on back-end infrastructure services right. and things like that. This was a really, this, again, was a very hard choice for me to make because here I'm reading this mailing list that essentially says to me, no more developers from SUSE working on the OpenSUSE distribution. That's definitely something I should report on, but without the full context, I really am grasping at straws on these mailing lists, and I feel like perhaps this worked better when open source software projects were smaller and not as many people were as interested. And, that, and I think that's the bottom line, and that's a good point. I think the issue is you know, open source maybe doesn't need to be open communication, right? Because I could see somebody the size of SUSE or the size of KDE. You know, I could see them getting into the issue of, you know, someone just casually floating an idea, even a bad idea, right, on the mailing list could become a, a media firestorm. Right. Um, and, you know, sure, they're not a, well, SUSE is weird, though, because there is that commercial company there, and it's like, what's the difference? But, I think KDE is a much cleaner, cleaner one to look at. Um, it's open source. Most of the developers are not paid to do this work. They're volunteering, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or if they are paid, some company or some other organization is paying their salary and then donating that developer's time mm-hmm, to the project. Mm-hmm. So certainly I could see the impatience for dealing with the media and dealing with the issues that come around that. But on the other hand, if you choose not to deal with the media, a competing project in this case, right? Because on a product who, who does have some media savvy could trounce you. And even though this is all open source free software, you still need to have mind share and market share. So I don't know where that leaves us, but a little, I mean, I'm definitely sympathetic to, to his complaint. I'm just not, I don't think he's. I don't think you're really in the wrong. I just think it's an unfortunate situation. Yeah, it is. It is a challenge. Yeah. It's sort of. I, to me, it 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 feels. Um, it feels like a little bit of wanting all the advantages of open input and development and outside resources coming in and helping you really seal something up and get something working right. But at the same time, wanting all the advantages of having private development. That's what it is. He he wants his cake and he wants to eat it too, but. I mean, can you blame him? I guess no, I'm a little more. Yeah, no, I, I can't. I, I, I can't. I, I understand his perspective. I, and, you know, the response, um, it seems like, so the response was sort of, uh, well, it's not our problem. Right. And it, it's sort of like ignoring the realities that there are publications and blogs and podcasts that exist specifically to report on this stuff, and it's going to happen. Even if it's not the Linux Action Show or Pharonix or Linux Journal or whoever, it is going to happen at some point. And so their best option is to take that on ahead of time, recognize the reality of the situation, and then just sort of create a channel, create an official channel for, it could be a G plus feed, it could be a Twitter account, whatever. I mean, why not do that? It You could give me the BS, well, nobody has time, but that's actually bullshit. It doesn't take that much time to put out a tweet once or twice a month about something. 
It's not a big deal. So the reality is it's because they don't want to. So they just want to be able to complain that the media is being the media without ever taking any corrective action to make that situation better. That's my that's where my that's where I guess my frustration comes from. I, I understand mm-hmm. that like Ferronics could have done a better job of fact checking and reading the fact that it was a proposal. I could have done a better job of going back and finding the original mailing list and reading 30 emails and then saying Ferronics is cray cray or hey, it's just a proposal. But it all could have been solved and, and future events will be solved if they just create an official channel for that news. Because right now it's just left up to digging through the mailing list. And this problem is not going to go away. That's my opinion. And they, you know, I, yeah, I, I, guess, they, I can understand they don't want to address it because it takes work. Right. And it's, it's, it's just, I mean, I don't think it's really a real problem. I mean, it's a reality of their size. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. I mean, really, I mean, so what? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, it does suck to have expectations missed, but people aren't going to hold the KDE people responsible once people understand what's going on. Um, but anyways, it's just, I guess I put that out there because I want open source projects to think about communication as part, properly communicating your deadlines and, and your release dates and even your proposed stuff and getting that information out there correctly to the rest of the community, I think should be looked at as part of an open source project community outreach. Like if you're going to engage and have a community and curate that community, which any project the size of KDE does, and they have people who are responsible just for curating the community, why not also make that part of that process clear communication about the development part part of it? Not just about the new calendar widget and how great that new font looks, but also how about you create official channels for the documentation? Because they got people blog posting all day well, long about say, the calendar. What about, what about like a blog, right, where the lead KDE dev just says this is what you know someone who is kind of has a high level overview of what they're doing and can actually intelligently talk? Yeah, I guess I don't know. I mean, that was that, I did suggest a blog too, but. I digress. So, why don't we talk a little bit about Microsoft? I have something first, if you don't mind. I know oh, I've yeah. added things to the docs during the show. Oh, that's did like, you? Oh, okay. Yeah, Sorry, that's like the eighth check. deadly sin. Oh, no, that's all right. That's all right. I don't mind. So, uh, you know how much I like things made in the States? Oh, my gosh. I know where you're going with this. You know how much I love, uh, you know, Android? So, uh, Motorola got sold to Lenovo. <laughs> Sons of bitches. Oh. <laughs> this is an interesting thing because... Um, at an amazing loss, too. <laughs> I, well, do you think? I mean, I, so they they they, it, it, they so lost money. It's not as they bad did as it for sure. Yeah. yeah, but Motorola had three billion in cash when Google bought them, and they they took that right. and they they keep to keep the patents and they sold off like the Motorola a, like a set top box division. They made some bills off that. So I don't know if it was a huge huge loss, but it was definitely it's, a loss. Well, it, the biggest loss was that the patents, since they you know they were ruled as essential patents, uh, the Fran patents weren't worth nearly as much as Google valued them at, right? right? Because right. you can't ask usury rates on, on essential patents. So that sucks. What's interesting is it look look it looks like the backstory was is that Lenovo approached Google right away when they bought yeah. Motorola and said, Hey, if you ever want to sell that, you well, ever that want makes to offload sense, that. Because right? you know, if you if you're Lenovo, you know Google doesn't give a rat's ass about building stuff. And Well it, I, uh, I don't know I mean, though. It, I mean Oh, come on. The word on the street, so to speak, you know, see, you know M.G. Siegler down on the street with his do-rag, um, was that Google just bought them for patents. So think about it. If you're Lenovo and that's what you believe, why wouldn't you say, hey? It does seem to be but, clear that was the case, doesn't it? Yeah. But yeah. did you hear the real story? What? This has less to do with Google, less to do with Lenovo, and more to do with my favorite manufacturer, Samsung. Okay, I was wondering if we we're going to go there. So yeah, just before this deal was announced, Samsung yep. announced they were going to not crap up their phones as much. Yes, they, they well, they made an agreement with Google not to, right? They didn't just announce this out of the goodness of their heart. Right. That That's the story. I um, mean, this has been reported everywhere. The Verge, I think Ars Technica had it. Um, I, I think GigaOM had a fairly poor story about it, too. Ooh. All right. So... I'm going to take you down conspiracy lane, Chris, and you, you tell me when I start to go off the rails. All right, let's do it. I'm, we'll just say Google, right? Let's just personify the companies. Samsung now holds, is it like 82% of the Android market? Yeah, and all of the all of the revenue. Right. Samsung has increasingly been hostile towards my stock implementation and is trying all these crazy, their own developer conferences, their own media things. They I got mean, S-Voice. They got all these extra... Essentially, they're trying to make parody applications to every Google. Or 
plan. Right, they're replacing the Gmail application and that insult to injury. They're then making this weird Tizen thing. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm Samsung. I'm a dick, right? Like, I now have 82% of the market, and I want to start throwing some weight around. And the only real, you know, I've defeated HTC, right? HTC is basically an also-ran. Nokia's failed and had to be bailed out by Big Daddy Microsoft. The only person who can step to me is Apple, but they don't, they're not playing the same game as me. Um, the only real risk in the Android space is Motorola because Google can just keep burning cash. Right. And there is a certain subset of that made in the U.S. will help them in the U.S. So what do I do? I, I could attack Motorola head-on, which will probably work okay, but be costly, right? Or let's make a deal. I think about it. What, what does Google want? Does Google care who you buy your phone from, or does Google want you using their phone so they can get more data on you? Right. And what does Samsung want? My bet is Samsung wants to be able to make any range of inferior products they want at any price range they want without any real quality competition other than the iPhone. Unfortunately, Motorola was real competition. And frankly, the Moto X was better than any Samsung phone that's come out recently, right? I mean, I think that's a fair statement. Like, that's empirically true. Are are you with me so far? Yeah, I am. Okay. Other issue. Google needs Android to be updated so there aren't these nasty, you know, press reports in the New York Times and the Asbury Park Press or in the U.S. Washington Post about Android exploited malware, two million devices hit, right? Mm -hmm. Who, for 82% of the market, is responsible for that? Right. You know, I never thought about it that way. So now I'm Google. I have this little company that I don't really give a shit about, right? I mean, other than the patents and the research division. I have Samsung, you know, owns 82% of what should have been my market, but because I'm stupid, I let anybody use the software. And I have, maybe not stupid, maybe I just don't care, right? I, I think that's the thing. It really, I, think, I think it was actually brilliant. Right. They want as many I, people I, using it as possible. I, so I still think this is a, is a fallacy, but I'll get to why at the end, or a mistake. And I have Lenovo at my door, who amazingly turned the IBM crappy PCs into something good. All right. People always love the ThinkPads, though. Oh, I'm sorry. The new Lenovo's are sweet, other than the trackpads, which still suck. <laughs> All right. So, what do I need from Samsung, right? If, if I can get Samsung to cut the crap on skinning Android, or at least lessen it, and if I can get them to promise to do updates for, you know, maybe 12 months, is that reasonable? Why wouldn't I do that? And maybe to back off their Tizen crap. Everybody won. Nobody except for all the people who are going to lose their jobs at Motorola got hurt. Well, um, I, I see. Yes, especially they, they also did that ten-year cross-patent right. agreement. Which and, and this is a, a big win for Lenovo. Covers because future patents. Given the political climate in the U.S., there are certainly going to be tariffs against China soon. Well, and I also wondered if the U.S. government would sort of intervene a little bit in a sale. Well, like this that. is if they don't stop this. This is good for Lenovo because if it's made in the United States, it doesn't have to pay the tariff. So I want to say I want to make a disclaimer right here. Um, right. I'm not anti, you know. Pro, I, I, okay, here's the thing. I don't know how to put this without sounding like some sort of U.S. bigot, but in the U.S., I like to buy. Okay, oh gosh, I just don't want to sound like a jackass, but I like to buy local, like as local right. as possible. There's a local fruit stand I like to buy from. I buy my meat from a local butcher, right? Like I try to support the local economy because I think sure. that just breeds a, a, a healthier local economy. Well, it breeds a nicer neighborhood for you, right? If you're spending money locally, yeah. that means someone has a job exactly. and they're not robbing banks. I mean, and, and I yeah. I generally take that same philosophy as far out as I can. So if I could buy a phone product that is made in the U.S., I would prefer that. And right. if it's not even made in the U.S., maybe it could be a U.S.-owned company. Then if it's not a U.S.-owned, you know, it's actually, it goes down the line like that. Right, that's my calculus. So now I'm going to default to iPhones, basically. Yeah. Is there no other Android phone? There is, is no other American-owned Android phone company anymore. I mean, Dell has their weird tablets, but I, I and please, someone correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong. I do not think there are any more U.S.-based Android companies. And I think there's only one or two European ones left. That's a big deal. Yeah, I think because Asus is from Finland, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they're still around, but they're not really obviously making phones. You know, mm-hmm. they're making tablets. So, 
I'm wow, sorry, Google. Wait, well, that's just it's interesting as Google as a it it shows perhaps I think it's it maybe is it exposing something else in the U.S. economy with that this massively explosion in this, these these mobile devices and all of this. It, none of it is now the none of the fruits of that winnings are going to U.S. companies. Well, I mean, we could get on a whole rant about if corporations are people, shouldn't they be then good citizens? But we, you know, I guess the carriers are making money. Uh, right. So and, and and Zuck was right. This is was Zuckerberg's bet a long time ago, saying that it doesn't matter. The only product in the United States is going to be software and services. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, that is a little sad to see Motorola go like that. Uh, and the other thing too is, um, I I think that I think Lenovo could actually probably be a good steward of of Motorola and probably make some interesting devices too. So they'll probably make some good compelling devices. But isn't this see you, you, isn't this where this where this deal you're foreseeing sort of breaks down? Because Motorola is much more of a threat to Samsung at Lenovo than it is staying with Google. So it's it's not in Samsung's interest for Motorola to leave because now they're actually going to I mean, let's be honest. How embarrassing was it to watch what Google did with Motorola? They just did they 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 did nothing for the longest time and then they finally executed on the Moto X, which looked like a compelling phone, but for whatever reason has not sold very well. Uh you they like the, right. it, you can get it for free at certain uh, during certain sales now, which right. is amazing to watch it go from like a top-tier smartphone down to free, not uh, not always, but on occasion. That is a real indicator of bad sales. So Google really failed to execute with Motorola. Well, I think it's fair. Google's not a product company, right? I mean, they're they're a service company. And I, I think, really, they had a lot of commercials for the Moto X, but they kind of sucked. Right? They didn't really push it. Like, it didn't feel sexy like an iPhone. They didn't have that going. Um. I mean, I, I feel like I'm coming back to my old thing. Everybody should be vertically integrated at this point and just... I mean, could Google have done well with Motorola? I think they could have, yeah. But I think they would have had to do some things that would have hurt them in the short term and would have made them a different company. Hmm. So, now what? Well, I think Lenovo is going to go one of two ways. They're going to make either the iPhone equivalent of Android, which would be very sexy and better than any of the crap Samsung produces. Oh, okay. Or they're going to be the rim of Android. Because remember, Lenovo was very strong in the enterprise space. I guess I felt like it. I guess I felt like Motorola at Google had a better chance of doing something really crazy, like just doing the most crazy out there phone ever, and really that's kind not, of. Right, but that, that's not going to do anything about Samsung, right? A, a cool moonshot project is great for the nerds. It doesn't, you know, Samsung will still have eighty-two percent of the market, and maybe if you do that for a year, eighty-four, right? I think it's. For Motorola to have succeeded at Google, Google would have had to become a different company. Do you think the race is done? you think it's over? Samsung won, everybody else go home? I think home? the only thing person Samsung has to worry about is Samsung. I mean, unless they do something so horrible that people freak out. Well, the S4 is also not selling super well. Is that because it's a bad phone? Which it is, but or is it just maturity in the market? Yeah, and I think people it was... are holding on to their S3. Uh, yeah, and I think yeah. maybe uh, he, I also wonder if maybe the you know the rumors about the Samsung crapware were starting to actually make right. it to Joe Public, and so that was one of the reasons they were compelled to come into an agreement with Google. You know, I think really the biggest winner out of all of this is Samsung because Google. The problem, Android, as long as Android is open, Samsung can just break it, this deal at any time. They can fork it Amazon style. It would be unpopular. But. Yeah, I wonder if that would. I always wondered too why they would not do that over Tizen. Tizen was like a, a whole hail mary bet when they. Well, could. Tizen was just a threat, right? Tizen was always. I don't you know. know. A- I don't know because I, I don't know if that's true because it seems like it has a pretty big industry backing. It's it's a lot of work for a threat. I mean, they have full time people working on it, right? Uh, it does seem like this new deal with Google is probably a bad sign for Tizen, though. Oh, it's it certainly is. I mean, it's. I also think it's a bad sign for the Android ecosystem as a whole. Because, I mean, all this does is, yes, Samsung phones will be less crappy going forward, and it probably won't go into effect for a few months. But it it only hardens their position and strengthens their position. Hmm. Unless Lenovo, like, unless Lenovo can bring the heat, unless Lenovo can really step up and, and sort of smacking them down. But Tizen resides within the Linux Foundation and is governed by the Technical Steering Group. Yep. So it's not it's not basically it was so it was a Samsung back thing, but it's not a Samsung owned thing. Right, they weren't that invested. 
So, so Tizen might continue on without Samsung, but Samsung would have been the best potential hardware partner for them. So, so I mean, let's let's we, and we can table this discussion after this. But would you agree that in 2015 or even you know Q2 2014 that the actually even now the mobile race is Apple v Samsung? Yeah, I think it has been for a little Period. bit. Yeah, right. Yeah, in fact, somebody where would I saw I saw a chart might have been over at uh, Asimco. It was like. All of the profits in the industry go to Apple and Samsung in hardware right. sales. All of them. Right. Nobody else is making money when you look at those guys. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, and one last, just to bun it up too, there was a rumor too that Google will be fading out the Nexus line by 2015. Yeah, I, I heard that's more than rumor though. It's going to be uh, – so what I'm hearing is it's, Nexus is, is dead. Um, and I'm really waiting for a Nexus 10, so can we not do that? I know, and I feel like the Nexus 5 is a really great Android phone. Right. Well, the Nexus 10 has also been out of stock for several weeks now, so I'm kind of getting because I need a good 10-inch tablet, and the only option to me is Samsung, but because I, you know, hate them. But remember how the Nexus was started for developers? Like, here, here's a good recent version of Android, and you need a good Android device to try it on. It's not too expensive, but it's going to give you a really good uh, performance, and it's going to have the latest uh, Google experience on there. Write your Android apps using this phone. And this was, remember how they gave them away to developers at one of the Google conferences like this? It was under the chair, yep. Yeah, this is supposed to be the developer phone. Well, now what they're going to do is the Google Play phones, right? So whatever the new hotness is, you know, whatever Samsung or, I mean, I guess HTC is still around, just not doing well. I hope this is just a, I hope it's just a rumor. I hope. I don't think this is a rumor. I think this is in line with their strategy. I think, you know, I think this, remember the Verizon deal? This is the Verizon deal version two. This is another devil's deal. You know, they, they made a crappy deal with Verizon that screwed net neutrality. It took them five years to screw net neutrality. But it finally happened, if you're not, for listeners, if they don't know what I'm referring to, I'm talking about that the court bitch slapped the FCC two weeks ago. Um, this is the same deal with Samsung. Would you, would you not agree this is along the same line? It's starting to look like it. We, I don't right. think we'll know for a little while. And once other- t- We won't know for at least a year. I mean, that, yeah. that's, just like the Verizon deal seemed a little shady, but, you know, whatever, kind of, they did what they had to do. Verizon waited five years. Yeah. And that was it. And they gutted net neutrality. Let me uh, let me thank DigitalOcean. Let's shake it all off with something great like DigitalOcean. You know, I, I mean, really, sometimes you just got to hit the reset button and think about good things. And DigitalOcean is just that. They're a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds. I'm at 47 seconds. What you got, audience? Nobody's beat me yet. And pricing plans start at only $5 per month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, and Amsterdam. The interface has a very simple and a very intuitive control panel. Power users can also replicate it on a larger scale with their straightforward API. And good news, everybody. DigitalOcean offers a fast collection of tutorials in their community section. Furthermore, users can submit articles to the community and get paid $50 per published piece. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Now, I have an Archbox running up there. I've been hearing from folks who are, who've put up uh, a Yassi search engine up there. They just have their own private search engine running on a digital uh, ocean instance, people have email servers running on there. I've heard from people who are using BitTorrent Sync like I am to distribute files amongst a, uh, a working group. And then, of course, uh, folks like Mr. Dominic here have used DigitalOcean for ages to do testing deployments and put things up and even sometimes run back-end infrastructures for the apps because DigitalOcean also offers some really flexible pricing. So if you need to do some testing, you can take advantage of their droplet deployment system, create a system, and then spin it up as you need it, and they even offer hourly rates hourly rates you pay as you go so here's what you can do try out digital ocean for two months with that five dollar rig that's the one i have we'll get you a ten dollar credit if you use the promo code coder radio february coder radio february when you check out we'll get you a ten dollar credit try out that five dollar machine for a couple of months and then you'll it's so awesome you'll see what i'm talking about when you have your own server up in the cloud super fast those ssds make a difference root access that's all you have full control over it tier one bandwidth and they're using some great technology underneath kvm for virtualization which you linux fans know is awesome they have amazing hardware they support global image transfer and on some of their instances they even support private networking so you can have a front-end web server with a sql server on the back end that's on a private network or maybe it's not sql maybe it's something else so go over to digitalocean.com use that promo code coda radio february when you check out and see what we've been talking about they've got some great straightforward plans make it easy to upgrade to faster machines if you need 
I really have been quite happy with DigitalOcean. We've been hearing from so many folks in our audience. And of course, we found DigitalOcean thanks to Mr. Dominic using them in his business. So DigitalOcean.com, promo code Coda Radio February when you check out. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. I like DigitalOcean. And I'm not afraid to say it. I'm proud. All right, Mr. Dominic, I think we've got enough time to squeeze in some Microsoft talk if you're up for it. Hello. I am always up for it. Oh, hello. Hi there. Welcome back. Hello, hello, hello. I believe you. All right. So uh, did you want to talk about the uh, CEO situation at Microsoft or what was in your uh, – I noticed you titled it Go Micro IBM Go. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what you've been hearing, but uh, um, it does look like uh, Microsoft might be just – Going the IBM route, right? Going with Satya Nadell, all that good stuff. The, the boring route. The profitable route. Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. what you're saying is they're screwed. Oh. All right. So why is this a bad thing in the world of Chris Fisher? How do you not see this as a bad thing? Seriously. Let's talk about a company whose biggest problem is not being willing to take risk and change things up. And now, as the entire world moves away from Windows and Windows is no longer the center of Microsoft's universe, they think, well, we'll bring our cloud guy up because everything's moving to the cloud. It's all Azure, all up in here. So let's bring the cloud guy up. And that's that's fine. That's good. I mean, I can see the reasoning there. It's a very safe, comfortable choice. But the problem is, is that I felt like Microsoft needed a hatchet man to come in there. They needed Steve Jobs. Microsoft is so, people don't understand, they are so bloated at the middle management layer that it, it paralyzes them. It, they are unable to execute on so many things. Look at the things this company has rolled out over the years that haven't properly been integrated. Let's just go immediately back to Surface. The fact that full-fledged Office RT wasn't available when that thing hit is a huge example of this fiefdom and these middle management layers that slow the company down and make them fail on execution. Then let's go back to the Xbox and look at how long it took them to integrate the Zune service with the actual Xbox service where you could buy a song on the Zune marketplace, but you couldn't play it on your Xbox? I mean, what kind of world is this? Or, or And then you have have a third store. You have the Windows Media Player that ships on every Windows desktop, which has its own store, which also does not work on the Xbox. All of these things, it has been this, it has plagued this company for the last 10 years. Once they got Windows out the door, they have failed in execution on just about every single other thing. Even in terms of where they've had success, they've also had massive write downs and failures. Xbox, right? Surface. It's been colossal failures over and over again. So what are they going to do? They're going to bring in one of the guys from down in the ranks that's been contributing to this problem all along and have him steer the ship. Well, good luck with that one, Microsoft. The only thing that's going to save this company at this point is momentum. The existing momentum they already have as a market dominator. And I, I really wanted to see, and there, you know, I, this bothers me because I have friends that work at Microsoft. I have family that used to work at Microsoft. They are a local Washington company, and I want to see them dominate. I want to see them go Seahawks on the industry and just kick ass. And they're not going to do it like this. They're going to just continue the same 22-year, same old, same old this guy has had since he's been there. But let me hear your, what's your perspective on it? Alrighty then. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's nearly that bad. I mean, it. it, it yeah, dude. It, it seems like you know. I guess what would you have? So you want someone to come in and just like start firing people? Is that what you're looking for? Uh, definitely doing some house cleaning for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think when you have, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I bet you could fire ten thousand people at Microsoft. Seriously, I bet you could fire ten thousand people. So what in your mind is a is a good like win condition for Microsoft like what kind of company do you think they should be Well I mean that's right. not my problem so you, but you want, I would, well, okay okay so you want them to take a katana to what they are but you don't have a a, a restructuring plan right you don't have Well I actually think Microsoft would do really well as a cloud and enterprise services company I really think that would be a, you know in terms of just making money that would be it and I think Microsoft has always had this conflict of interest where they can't help but be good as an enterprise company but don't want to be an enterprise company. And um, I, I think that they should have a CEO come in and decide, we are this. This is what we're going to focus on. God, this company needs focus. So badly, this company needs focus. But isn't that what they're doing? I mean, it, I mean to me, as an Xbox fan, the, 
the hiring of, you know, um, I, I would say his name, Nadella, as a CEO signals we are focusing, but we're focusing on enterprise. Well, I think you have to realize that if you bring in a 22-year vet and you bring him up to the top like that, the real person running the company is going to be Bill Gates. Well, the other rumor is Bill Gates is thinking of stepping down as chairman. Mm-hmm. No, this Satya Nadella will be will be leaning on Bill Gates the whole time. I, I just, you know, inside Microsoft, Bill Gates is a god. You don't you don't out the god when you when you have somebody who's not ever run a company coming up to run one of the world's largest software companies. You don't get you don't get rid of your god who created the company from whole cloth. I mean, you don't do that. You you work with him closer, and he's just going to keep. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, I think Gates is just part of the problem here. In what way? I mean, are you suggesting that Gates is going to say, well, the strategy didn't work, so let's just continue down the road? I think Gates has never clearly had a post-Windows strategy. I think one of the reasons he might have left was because of that. And now he still, you know, now also as Bomber's on his way out, it's come out that, well, actually, Gates still was exerting quite a bit of control through the board over Bomber and even held Bomber's hand and held him back a few times when Bomber wanted to do certain things. And Bomber had to push against that every now and then to break something through. Like, to me, it sounds like the heavy hand of Gates was always kind of there at the wrong moment in the last few years. And it seems like when you take out a very strong figure like Steve Ballmer, who's obviously been in the lead for a while, and so he has some weight, and you bring in somebody who's just been one of the rank and file, although one of the important rank of file, who's never right. run a company ever, Gates's position is just going to be strengthened, and his his word's going to be even more golden. So you said it's something interesting to me uh, post-Windows. Why do they have to be post-Windows? I think they, like, I think they feel what? they're post-Windows. Maybe that's the problem. I mean, can't Windows evolve into something different? Uh, I don't no. know, man. It's a tainted brand at this point. All it's right. tainted on the. Well, I'm not. I mean, maybe I could be wrong, but don't you think? Like, look at look at the look at the mobile devices. I bet you if they didn't have Windows in those names, they'd be selling a little bit better. I think people. Oh. I I think Windows is associated with a bygone era in some regards, and I think oh. on the server side. You know, Linux and Unixes are the new hotness in the cloud storage and things like that. I just, I'm not saying Windows doesn't have its place. It absolutely does. And there's tons of deployment. And it's going to be deployed for years and years and years. But I think, I think Microsoft sees it as a post Windows world. And I think they're right in some ways. It's definitely never going to be, it's, it's never going to be at the size of deployment it was. It's, it's only going to shrink. Hmm. Okay, I mean it's. It's definitely you know. So here's the here's I'll grant you here's the big challenge for running Microsoft. Microsoft is not a games company. They're not a server company. They're not a consumer company. They're not. They're all of these things. And so having somebody who could possibly even understand all of these different businesses and how they all connect together is a massive challenge. And if you could give Balmer any piece of credit, is that he was able to apparently mentally shift gears constantly and juggle all of the different priorities of the company and all of its different aspects. You know, there's people out there who only who only know Microsoft as Xbox. I have family members who don't call it Microsoft. They call them they call them the Xbox company. It's hey, you know, there's the Xbox. They don't call it Microsoft. They don't call it Windows. It's Xbox. And there's people out there who know them as a phone company. There's people out there that know them as an enterprise right. company. Nobody could keep all that straight except for Bomber and nobody coming outside of the company would really be able to get their a grapple on that within a year or so. So I understand that by bringing somebody from the inside who already knows the culture who already knows how all these things are work it, you can hit the ground running a little bit faster but i just but don't, don't you don't you think it's significant that they you know wouldn't this be a different message if they had picked let's say the head of the xbox division yeah right or elop right i mean to me picking the head of you know azure or you know i mean he's more than azure but that whole enterprise server says something. It says they might become more of an enterprise company, even more so. Right. So my question is, why is that bad when it will clearly be, I mean, maybe you don't agree, but to me is the most profitable avenue they could take, right? I think he's too close. Like to, to really become truly focused on this and and really make Microsoft the Azure company, I think... I think he got to crack a few eggs, and I don't think 
I mean, I just don't see that happening. You need a, you need a cold, in, uh, you know, disconnected person coming from the outside who hasn't worked with these people for a huge majority of his adult life. I just don't know. I just don't. You just don't usually. You look back at companies, and usually when they're at this stage, and somebody from the inside comes up to the top. I mean, just historically, it doesn't usually work out. All right. Well, we'll see. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. We'll we'll see what happens. I I have some some faith that this will actually work its work itself out. I I, I suppose mean, like if 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 you're if you're right, and they really do sort of you know, really double down on the whole cloud infrastructure services and stuff like that. That would probably be the best case scenario for an internal uh, promotion. Maybe this, who knows? You know, every now and then there's real hidden gems inside companies that once they have a chance to, you know, sort of spread their wings, they can really accomplish something. You know, look at Johnny Ive, pre-Jobs. I mean, he was just banking the most boring looking Macs ever. And then a few years later after Jobs is there, he's making iPods and, I, you know, all that crap. So it is possible to have somebody who's really gifted internally that isn't able to fully, you know, execute until they've get, until they're given the right position and responsibility. Right. And, I, and I think that's part of it. And I, I think it is significant though that that he is from that background. I think that means something. And I think it's obviously it does. You know, people are going to overplay it, right? People are going to say they're going to kill Xbox or whatever. But um, no, no, no. I think uh, I think it's not going to do well in terms of like. It's turning the stock around either. Like, I always felt like that was part of the reason they were replacing Bomber was to fix that stock problem they have, that stagnation problem, because the market just kind yeah. of was demanding it at this point. And this doesn't seem like it's going to solve that problem. In fact, they're down 2% right now on this news. Are they really? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so I don't know, right? I mean... Well, yeah, I mean, these guys can't catch a break is the sad thing. Yeah. But having said that, they're still extremely profitable. I mean, yeah. even with their middle management turkey club. Yeah, like, yeah. It's a kind of amazing moment what momentum can do. And, you know, a few successful products can support so many unsuccessful products. Uh, their stock price is down right now to $36, um, even with a market cap of $314 billion. Revenue per employee right now is $841,000. That's pretty good. That's, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, their P&E ratio is 13.58%. I mean, financially, they're not really doing too bad, but the market has decided. Just like I the market will, decides other stupid things. Um, Microsoft, I will gladly take those numbers. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, did you want to uh, ch- touch on this or do you want to save this next topic for maybe next week? What do you think? Let's save it for next week. Okay. All right, Mr. Dominic. Well, then why don't we wrap it up right there? We'd like to know what you guys think about all of the stuff that we've covered today. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, pop that contact link, and then let us know what you think. And don't forget, you can also join us live on a Monday at 9 a.m. noon Eastern over jblive.tv. And when you're there, you can bang suggest titles. Chat room, last chance to get your title suggestion, and you can hang out in our chat room. Thank you to our lovely chat room who is playing with colors today. They get distracted easily, Mr. Dominic. <laughs> Ooh, colors, shiny. Mr. Dominic, uh, speaking of distractions, uh, where should people follow you throughout the week? At Tupanuco on Twitter. Well, that's easy to understand and makes sense to me. Nice and easy. We'll have links to those in the show notes as well. My social profiles are linked in there, twitter.com slash chrislas. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week's episode of Coda Radio. Hope we hear from you soon and join us live next week, won't you? Because we're right here every single Monday. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>